Greetings and welcome to the pod. My name is Mark West, and have you ever had the visibility in a swim drop to a few centimetres? Has it ever gone a bit brown? This happened to today's guest, Dr Ian Wright, in the early 1990s. And then suddenly the visibility went from probably like five metres down to about five millimetres. And I knew enough, I had, you know, for a year and a half I'd been a scientist at Sydney Water and I knew straight away, we are in the sewer plume. And if you were an ocean swimmer in the early 1990s, taking in Sydney's pristine beaches, it probably happened to you too. You probably swam in the poo. Ian is a keen ocean swimmer and a senior lecturer in the School of Science and Health at Western Sydney University. And his research interests include freshwater ecology, water chemistry, and water pollution. We chatted about the poo problem at Sydney's beaches, and I started our chat by asking him where his passion for ocean swimming comes from. I love water. I love water in all its forms. And, and I, I tell a lot of my classes that as a kid, I used to love playing in water, swimming in water. You know, I grew up on the northern outskirts of Sydney, so I, I loved the local creeks and bush. And now I do exactly the same sort of thing, but I get paid for it. Um, I, I, I love everything about it, sampling water, trying to work out how clean is it, what's, you know, how healthy is it for the plants and animals living there. But yeah, part of, part of it is I just physically love water. I'm a swimmer. Um, I swam this morning. I, I live at um, North Shore of Sydney. Uh, I work at Richmond. So at the moment, it's pretty cool. There's a frost out here this morning. So I went to an indoor pool at Penrith and swam. Okay. And, um, but yeah, I started ocean swimming in 1989. Um, I got quite keen on swimming just basically for fitness and at that stage, the ocean swims, there weren't that many in Sydney. Um, there was the Coal Classic, which was, in those days, it was held at Bondi, at North Bondi. And there was a swim at Manly, the Manly, Manly Swim, and one or two others. And, yeah, I started, um, yeah, back then when I was in my mid-20s. And do you still do them? I haven't done any for a couple of years. And I must be honest... I get a bit freaked out by waves now, and it's just basically a lack of um, practice. I, 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 look, I think, um, I think I'm a reasonably strong swimmer, but it's just um, I, felt, I felt a bit uncomfortable. Um, and sometimes my favorite um, ocean swim is the Palm Beach to Whale Beach swim. And I was lucky when I first started doing that, it started very much in the protected um, area of South Palm. And in, I think I've done that swim about 10 times in the last 30 years. Okay. Um, and in the last years I did it, they moved it further north and we just happened to have some pretty big surfs. And one year I had about, I don't know, probably a dozen goes at getting out through the breakers, but I've lost my ability to hold my breath and swim underwater um, in, in, in that sort of environment. And it's because I get nervous and anxious and that's not a great recipe for holding your breath. <laughs> no, it um, works against you, doesn't it? Abso- absolutely. But, um, you know, once I'm through the breakers and, and, I, and it's just, you know, just practicing and being confident and getting that sort of surf sense again. Um, but I've, um, look, I absolutely, I absolutely love it. And so, uh, some of my favorite moments in life being out 
um, out at sea looking at the um, ocean horizon one side and you know the beach or rocky headlands and the beautiful views on the other and um, yeah I now I hope hopefully next summer I would like to get back into it and get my skills up but pretty much at the moment I'm pretty much a flat a flat um, water pool swimmer so you can train through winter plenty of swims on the north shore to uh, to head to the northern beaches yeah absolutely but I I really need to spend more time in the surf just getting my skills up and just becoming comfortable again yeah, um yeah. going out go, going out through the breakers and um and and just yeah getting my confidence and skills back up again so so back back around 89 90 it wasn't only uh, surf breaks and, and currents and whatnot you had to get through. You had to swim through sewage plumes. Yeah, <laughs> when you mentioned that, that I was just amazed. So you really swam through poo back in the day. We did. We, we absolutely did. So I can, I can remember the swim well. It was, a, it was the Manly Ocean Swim. Um, it, was, uh, it was 1991. Um, I remember it really, really well because I entered that. Um, in fact, I didn't enter it. Um, we had a big night out the night before, so I was going. I was going to enter on the day. Um, we had a big night out. I drank a bit. Um, I was late to the turning up. My mate had registered, and they'd shut down registration. And I thought, oh well, bugger it. I'm just going to do the swim anyway. They don't own the beach. Yep. I'm just going to jump in. And uh, it was, it was, you know, it, it was a, a huge wind. Um, and it was an onshore wind and the waves were pumping and I can remember two things. I swam out through the breakers. I had confidence in those days and I, you know, was was like a porpoise. I had no hassles getting out there. And then suddenly the visibility went from a probably like five meters down to about five millimeters. And I knew enough. I had you know, for a year and a half I'd been a scientist at Sydney Water and I knew straight away we are in the sewer plume, sewage oh. plume. So, so this was at south, um, the very southern reaches of Manly, just around from um, Ferry Bower, and obviously the cliff face outfall from the Manly um, North Head sewage treatment plant. That plume was pushed by the waves and the wind onto the shore and to the north. So it was basically going up the coast, and we swam through it. So, Hun- hundreds and hundreds of us. Oh, so it wasn't that far off. The, the coast back then but this is well before deep water water outfalls and such things that's right mark so it was probably six to 12 months before they, they had i think they were probably finishing the tunneling of the deep water outfalls at the time which were pushing that um poorly treated effluent from north head they're pushing that out out off the shore by three kilometers and releasing through a whole series of diffusers at about 80 meters um of depth and Basically, most of that, most of the sewage, when that happens, um, just disperses. A lot of that never comes to the surface, um, and in many ways, that's kind of out of sight, out of mind. Uh, certainly, we don't get that degree of contamination as close to the coast nowadays. <laughs> that's amazing. So, was there a big outbreak of E. coli infection on the North Shore in 1991? After this, I mean, that's uh, that's a good. That's, that's, that's a really good question. I um, the funny thing is I knew and I've never forgotten going through the the, the sewage plume. Uh, me and my mate certainly didn't get sick that I was know of, but I also know it was just the right weather conditions to blow in um, blue bottles. And oh, what concerns just, just for extra fun, yeah. Oh, absolutely, and 
it was the worst blue bottling I've ever had in my life. And I can remember I had stringers, stingers. It looked like I'd, I'd had a bondage session or something. I had whip marks all over me. And it was from the blue bottle stingers. I actually had one wrapped around me, um, right around my torso. I'd never had that happen before. And it was like this explosion of pain. And out, out there, it actually took a bit to work out what the hell has just happened. Um, and... What do you do? Have you been blue-bottled like I, that? I and have, but not as bad as what you're describing. It, it Literally, I could see it looked like whip marks went right around my torso, my, my stomach, my back, um, ribcage, um, in, in a couple of... But, um, yeah, I, well, I did it. <laughs> you did. <laughs> would, would those blue bottles have been hanging around the, the, the outfall, or was that just a coincidence? I think it was a coincidence, and I think you know, I think it was just that onshore wind had had blown them and concentrated them in the in the nearshore area. Just you know, pro- it was probably one of those days when you just see hundreds and hundreds washing up. Wow, that's this is a real adventure sport, isn't it? And oh, <laughs> absolutely. And so, do we still have this swimming in poo problem in in Sydney? I mean, do we still dump untreated uh, effluent off the coast at any point? Yes, we do. Yes, we do. So I've just written an article in the conversation. Um, there's a, a a wonderful community group. I think they're more or less based in Victoria called the Clean Ocean Foundation. Um, and I think this group was formed, their biggest sewage treatment plant is at a place called Bogues Rocks or Ganamata, not the one near Conalla. This is down, um, I think, Mornington Peninsula Way. This is the second biggest sewage treatment plant for Melbourne. And this group pushed and pushed and pushed for years and years and years to increase the level of treatment in the sewage. And that sewage is now treated to uh, tertiary level. They call it um, A+. When you've got that level of recycling, um, of that level of treatment, it's, it's appropriate to use that water for you know, watering gardens, flushing toilets, possibly even to use in the laundry. It's obviously not for potable use, you know, for drinking. Okay. Um, in comparison, in Sydney, the three big outfalls, so that one at North Head, the outfall at Bondi, and the biggest in Australia is the one at Malabar. They're the three biggest in Sydney. They, they discharge poorly treated effluent. They call it primary treatment. So they've taken out... Um, quite a lot of the pollutants but it's still a very poor standard of treatment so really high nutrient levels um, quite a lot of um, sediment um, and other contaminants is still within there so that's discharged every day a thousand megalitres yeah um, that's uh, 2.5 megalitres equals one olympic swimming pool so okay. we've got hundreds and hundreds of olympic swimming pools discharged into the ocean but but the worst the worst one mark is that at Vaucluse Diamond Bay, they actually dump every day continuously untreated sewage, like untreated, no treatment whatsoever, 100% raw, like toilet paper and whatever the bits and pieces are that people throw down the toilet. That's discharged at a cliff face outfall, um, not far from the gap. So yeah. basically around the corner um, from South Head, Untreated sewage from from the suburbs of uh, Vaucluse and Diamond Bay. I, I'm absolutely astounded by that. I mean, I, I, I'm I'm actually quite surprised that we only 
that the, the the sewage coming out of the the deep ones is is still only primary treated, but untreated is just amazing. How how is that? I mean, is it really expensive? Does it does it cost a lot in energy to to treat sewage? Why is it just hard? Why why, why I guess is my question. Oh look, it's 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 um it's they're great questions and um. As, as, as luck would have it, I, I was invited to a meeting at Sydney Water the other day, in fact, Friday, and I actually got to meet the managing director, um, who, uh, Kevin, Kevin Young, who I've met before. Now, he's about to retire as the managing director of Sydney Water. I have heard through my network that he is obsessed by getting this fixed. And I mentioned it to him last Friday. Um, and he said, yes, absolutely, they're going, to, they're going to do it. And I'm actually just looking up a website right now. So if anyone wants to check up on this, Vaucluse Diamond Bay Sewerage, just put those three words into Google and you'll be directed to this. But it is incredible that in 2019, for you know over 100 years, we have been discharging untreated waste from such a large... This is like, it's like a small country town, that sort of population. I think it's about three to 4,000 people. Um, and it's dumped into, into the ocean and... Probably reflecting, you know, Victorian times when, you know, you out of sight, out of mind. Who goes down there? Who cares about that? That's just a great way to get rid of our waste. Now we love it. People interact with it. They, they, they dive in the area. They fish. They kayak. It's probably a pretty tough area to swim. Um, but yeah, I imagine. I'm sure people do that too. It's just so. It, I just. It's so interesting because, I mean, Sydney Water is full of amazing scientists doing fantastic stuff. I guess there's a like a physical infrastructure issue too. You know, where Sydney's sprawling place. We've got to build pipes to carry the sewage places and treatment plants. I guess. I guess there's a real infrastructure issue there. Oh, that's absolutely right. Absolutely. So Sydney's growing, whether we like it or not. We 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 continue to grow, um, and. You know, the, the state government up till about 18 months ago, two years ago, they, they had a, the, the, the metropolitan strategy for Sydney was actually called a plan for growing Sydney. So federal government, state government encouraged this growth, yet those of us who live here in Sydney, um, we can see the struggle for infrastructure to keep up with it, whether it's schools, hospitals, roads and railway lines. But poor old Sydney water, um, they have to make sure that the new population has... Um, fresh drinking water and they have to also collect um, collect, transport, treat and discharge the wastewater and we are really struggling they are really struggling to do it they do it I think they I agree with you I think they do it really well but when you've got all this history and the infrastructure for sewerage all heads for the coast basically from Parramatta to the coast everything heads to the coast um, working out here at Richmond West of west of about Parramatta Blacktown, all the sewage heads to the river, and again we are struggling to deal with it, and it ends up in the river, and there's just so many issues associated with this. What what do you do to it when it when it is just primary treated that ends up at, at Malabar? Say what 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 do you do, and and how hard is it to go from there to drinkable water? Is that is that a quantum leap of uh, you know the amount of energy that's needed or something like that? Yeah, that's a that's look. That's a great question, Mark. Um, it, it it 
I point to, um, we've got a fantastic example near us at Penrith Sewage Treatment Plant. That's quite a large um, population and they treat and then discharge treated sewage effluent into the uh, Nepean River. Now they've built, and this happened in the Millennium Drought, they've built this Space Age plant at St Mary's and it's called the St Mary's Advanced Water Treatment Plant and they actually have a whole series of processes to clean it and you're quite right energy is a large part of it reverse osmosis is part of it and then they discharge um, really high quality water that is so pure there's actually less salt and minerals in it than drinking water and they discharge that into the Nepean River and that actually dilutes the river um, on yeah, when it's running. Yeah, it would, wouldn't it? Yeah. I was going to say, what what do you do with the the stuff you get out of the water, the sludge that oh, you're left with? What what do you do? That with is that? a really that is a really good question. Whatever you do with with you know fixing an environmental problem, you'll create two or three new ones each time. That is absolutely right. That's called brine, and so the last part of the process is reverse osmosis. So it's pushing. Um, the, the treated effluent through membranes, uh, you know, under great power, um, great pressure. And the stuff that doesn't make it is very salty. It's full of minerals. It's full of all kinds of contaminants. That is pumped across to the ocean outfalls um, rather, than, rather than the river. Um, so that would join probably Malabar, Bondi, North Head, and is pumped out to sea. That's interesting. So you don't bury it. Like I, I wondered whether it would get almost solid by the end of it, and you could use it for fertilizer. Or I mean, I guess it'd have all sorts of horrible things in it. But um... oh, that's a that's a good that's a good point. Well, uh, most treatment plants have have several stages to the process. So the very first stage, and it's confronting to visit it, and it might even be confronting to for some people to hear this. But the very first stage is they filter out large coarse particles, and that's basically the stuff people shouldn't be throwing down the toilet. Um, so there's a lot of plastics. There's a lot of things that shouldn't be there. Um, I'm not even going to mention it. A lot of people know what a lot of that stuff would would be. A really controversial thing today um, is that um, a lot of people don't use toilet paper but use something they call flushable wipes, wet wipes if you like. They're a really tough paper cloth and federal court last um, Thursday or Friday um, have basically allowed one company to call them flushable wipes, even though the water industry of Australia says they're not. They don't break down. They tangle, they collect, and they block sewers. Um, and if it gets that far, that's one of the first things when the, when the raw sewage comes into a treatment plant, these large particles get filtered out. Um, uh, and I've taken a lot of student classes to treatment plants, and I've Part of my job, I used to visit them quite a lot. Hmm. Um, I'm going to ask you a question here, Mark, and yeah. and, and for anyone listening, on, this question is for you. Um, and this is true. This is a true story. A colleague of mine, working back back at Sydney Water, was getting samples at a treatment plant, and he went past this coarse filter, and all this muck was building up, all these unmentionable solids. And my friend saw. A ten dollar note, meshed into this unpleasant gunk. Wow! What yeah. would you What would you do? What's your price? Um, <laughs> to put my hand in and get it out. Yep. Well, he did. <laughs> he put his hand in and got it out. And can you 
can you imagine the poor shopkeeper? Because um, <laughs> I don't, I don't think you'd ever get that smell out of it somehow. Yeah, I, I, it, my price would be, uh, and I, I don't have gloves, do I? So my my price would be very high. I imagine it would be. That's a good point. Gloves is a good point. Yeah, <laughs> probably a few orders of magnitude higher than the ten ten dollar. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. This was this, this was about nineteen eighty nine. So um, I think with inflation, that would at least be a fifty dollar note now. Yeah, that's right. Um, I think for, I think if I saw a hundred dollar note. I like your answer about the globs, though. I think I'd, I'd do that, and I would then get a whole lot of metho, soak it in metho. <laughs> yes, yes. Well, I guess... I'd feel very guilty about passing that note on, though. Uh, yeah, you might want to. Well, then, what's the point in getting it if you're not going to buy anything with it? Don't yeah, good point. <laughs> good, 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 good point. But they they find all kinds of stuff, um, and then the next train of the sewage treatment process there's a, they, they sediment out a lot of a lot of contaminants as well now that stuff they use a lot of that now they call it biosolids and they use a lot of the solids a lot of that's nutrients and they use it as a soil conditioner mm-hmm. um, and our soils in Australia are really really poor in nitrogen and phosphorus in particular and phosphorus is a, associated that's part of the that's part of sewage and it causes problems in our rivers and ocean and estuary algae grows and weeds grow but if you extract it as part of the sewage treatment you can actually use it for beneficial reuse um, so it's funny I've seen you know in my professional lifetime probably 30 years in this industry I see so much more recycling and beneficial use made out of um, you know sewage and other wastewater products is there a I mean I know it's probably it, it would vary everywhere but is there a or would you know what the percentage is that's recycled into drinkable water or, or usable fertilizer or whatnot? That's a great question. That's super topical. Um, the, 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 the recycling into, into potable, I'll take that one first. Um, we do it. We do it. It's part of our water supply here. Um, and depends where you are in Australia and what your supply is. But um, here in Sydney, for example, we do it, but it's called, but it's called indirect potable reuse. So I know the catchment really, really well. Part of my career, I was a water scientist in the catchment of Sydney's drinking water catchments. And just just a few years ago, I was involved in doing an audit of the water chemistry. Now, the water we get out of the tap in Sydney, about 80 to 90% of it comes from the Warragamba catchment. That's the the giant um, water supply dam southwest of Sydney. Now, that catchment includes towns of uh, Katoomba, Lithgow, Goulburn, uh, Southern Highlands, Willarawang, um, multiple Southern Highlands towns such as Bowral, Berrima, Mossvale. Most of those towns all have sewage treatment plants and they discharge their waste into rivers, which forms part of the water held behind Warragamba. Uh, But it's probably several years, probably several years from the treated sewage entering a catchment river, getting stored behind the dam, um, then it gets treated and then it gets piped to our house. So it's probably a small proportion of it, but part of it is treated sewage. So we do do it here. Now, if you go to, say, Wagga, Wagga inland town, a large inland city, they extract water from the Murrumbidgee River. Where does the Murrumbidgee River come from? Well, one of the main towns upstream of that is Canberra. So 
Canberra discharges, treats and discharges most of its sewage into the Molongolo River, which is a tributary of the Murrumbidgee. So, you know, part of the water that they drink in Wagga um, would come from the toilet flushings of Canberra. Okay. Uh, again, potable reuse, it's indirect, um, and, and it would be diluted and would have all kinds of, you know, it's highly treated from Canberra, um, but then all kinds of natural processes um, happen, you know, UV radiation, sedimentation, aeration as it, as it bubbles down the river. And, of course, the waste of Wagga goes back into the river downstream, and the poor old people of Adelaide drink that further downstream. That's, that's their water supply. Right. So Adelaide gets water from, it gets, it, it, well, a very large percent of it would be recycled, wouldn't it, if it coming from Canberra okay. and then Wagga and then... Absolutely, and all the other towns in between and, and, and all the towns along the Murray and towns along the Darling, but you've probably got, um, you know, dilution and, you know, m- months in between. But, you know, it's, it's, it's why it's so important to understand where your water comes from and also treat your waste because that's going to be the water supply of someone else downstream. And that's the way of the world across, you know, Asia, America, Europe. Uh, but in, in Australia... Some of us are lucky enough that we drink water from a you know pristine location and it doesn't have any wastewater in upstream of that. Or is, is it fair to say there's another drought on its way or has, has commenced like the millennial drought? That's, that's great. That's a really, really good point. This drought, um, it's sudden, it's severe, it's across southeastern Australia. Uh, it's hitting Adelaide, Canberra, uh, Melbourne, Sydney. Uh, Brisbane is been getting um, more rainfall the inland of New South Wales, it's probably one of the most severe droughts in European history in many locations, but it is extending to the coast. Now, it doesn't seem that bad in Sydney to me because we're getting a lot of coastal rain, but the rain isn't going into our water catchment uh, to, to a high degree. Um, I'm just going to look it up. It's one of my favourite websites, um, but it's, it's the Bureau of Meteorology's um, water dashboard. Oh, um, yeah, yeah. It's, and that gives a daily read, readout. Yeah, BOM Water Dashboard. Um, and there's going to be a digital readout just appearing on my screen now. Um, it's a water, water storage summary. So today, Sydney is at 52.2%. Melbourne is at 50.1%. So their catchments are basically 49.9% air at the moment. Um, Perth is the lowest at 40.6 and then Adelaide at 44.5. Um, so yes, we, we, we are struggling. I know Sydney's, um, we've dropped, it was 69% a year ago and an, another year back, so just in over, a bit over two years, um, probably two and a half, three years ago, our storages were full. That is unprecedented in Sydney to lose so much of our supply in just two and a half years. This, this, is a, this is a sudden onset drought. 
And, and what do we do about it? We've got um, desalination plants, don't we? Do they Have we switched them on yet? Absolutely. So Sydney's got one down at Kernel. It's a modest-sized one. So we have switched it on. Um, and we've learnt in the process that switching on a desal plant is not like starting your car. You know, you, you flick the switch, hit, hit, hit the ignition, the car starts, and you can pretty much put it in gear and drive off. The desal plant in Sydney takes about six months from switching it on to being up to full speed and able to process its you know, design capacity for water. Um, so once Sydney got to 60%, the decision was made. That was the trigger point. Um, the, that's the Metropolitan Water Plan. Um, they switched the plant on, and I think it's August. It'll be on full supply. You mentioned some numbers earlier about the amount of sewage that we that we make. Is there a future in which we're all drinking recycled water uh, instead of using a desalination plant? I we, look, we could. I don't think think that's going to happen. My, I've got a very modest dream. I, I, I love to see. Uh, I, I love to see waste products of society in all forms used in a beneficial way, rather than you know, causing an environmental problem. Yeah, it does It does sound like we're, like, dumping an awful lot of stuff out to the ocean that's kind of we, got to be useful in yes, one way or another. Absolutely. I absolutely agree. And um, I, I, was, I would like to see us use... Um, there's, there's a suburb in western Sydney, in northwestern Sydney, called Rouse Hill. In fact, there's a few suburbs around it. So they treat sewage at Rouse Hill Sewage Treatment Plant to a very high level, tertiary level. I think it's tertiary level with nutrient removal. So I think it's even above tertiary. And they pipe that in purple, in lilac-coloured pipes. So every house in the suburbs around that, and I think there's 32,000 homes, they have two water supplies, Mark. They have the normal drinking water, which obviously goes to the kitchen and I think the laundry. And then for garden watering and toilet flushing, they have this lilac pipe that's the future to me. Oh, that's so cool. Absolutely. And, you know, on average, we use over 200 litres per person per day. And I could imagine that we could use at least half of that could be recycled water, you know, not, not for potable reuse, but we could use re recycled sewage. Like, why do we flush our toilets with perfect drinking water? Yeah, I mean, that, that makes sense. What you're saying makes sense to me. Uh, but I guess I guess that's never you know for those same infrastructure reasons we're never going to see that across Sydney are we we're probably only going to see that in new suburbs like Rouse Hill as they pop up and can be planned properly I guess is that is that right? I look I think so but I think this is where we have to look look at our cousins in Adelaide and Perth Perth if anyone wants to know of a place that is suffering climate change and it's affecting their water it's Perth. Uh, Perth is one of the one of the most water stressed cities in the world, and the good people of Perth and the water corporation that looks after their water and sewerage, they are doing the impossible. Perth has two desalination plants; they're the only capital in Australia to have more than one, and they're flat out. They 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 don't turn them off. They can't afford to. Perth also extract water from uh, from the groundwater. They've got an excellent groundwater supply to the north of Perth called the Nangara Aquifer. And what they're now doing, they're now treating sewerage to a very high level, like we do at, at St Mary's in Sydney. And they're actually treating sewerage to a portable use level. And then they inject it 
into the groundwater where it stays for several years and they call this water banking. So right. it can then stay underground and then they extract it when they need it. And that's the future. Um, they've now made the decision, they, they still discharge um, treated sewage to the environment, but Perth said they have a plan within 50 years that they will discharge no sewage to the environment. They'll be treating it all and reusing it all. Wow, that's cool. Absolutely, absolutely. And the struggles that they've had, their rainfall and their stream flow into their water catchments, it's been stepping down every group of years since 1974. And it's actually down about 80 to 90%. This year is probably the wettest year they've had in about 25 years. But they have this long-term, um, you know, it's, it's, it's tightening. There's less and less water around in Perth. It's pretty funny if their natural spring water becomes recycled water too. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> absolutely, yeah, absolutely. And I think, I think there's every possibility that's happening right now. Um, so it's just starting. They're doing it very carefully um, and monitoring all the way. Um, you need really good science and really good engineering for this. So they're, so they're just building capacity to do this. Uh, but, yeah, uh, in, 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 in the east, uh, southeastern Australia, I think we need to watch very carefully what goes on in Perth. Um, Adelaide similarly uh, is, is you know, incredible with, with their pursuit of, of recycling as well. And, and back to um, the ocean water, what, what do you think the biggest threats to ocean water quality are these days? Is it sewage off the coast or climate change? I know you've written some articles on coal mining and the effects of, uh, of that on ocean water quality. Uh, most, most of my, yeah, I have done a lot of research on, on, on water and coal mining, but most, most of my studies have just concentrated in the freshwater reaches around coal mines. Right. Uh, I, I would say in terms of, of oceans, the impact is probably dissipated by then, uh, but in the west of Sydney, uh, so so one, for example, one mine I've been watching for a long, long time is the Westcliff coal mine that discharges its waste um, from the from that coal mine into the Upper Georges River. Now, the Georges River is the biggest tributary that feeds into Botany Bay, um, and the Georges River at the moment, I was there well, two weeks ago. It's been quite dry in Sydney and the Upper Georges was not flowing um, but coming out of the mine that makes uh, about 80 to 90% of the flow of the upper reaches of the Georges River really? and it's unnaturally salty and it's got an unnatural um, enrichment of a whole series of metals um, but I'd say probably by the time it gets to Botany Bay again that's probably dissipated but um, it's definitely caused plenty of impacts on its way there. It, it kind of scares me that, like, when you say it's dissipated, I, I guess that just means it's settled to the bottom of the Georges River. And I, I live on the Cooks River, and we've got a similar thing. Like, are we ever going to be able to swim in these places ever again? I'd be really scared to dig my hand into the ground and, you know, get a, a century of heavy metals on me. Yeah, good. Look, look, it's a good point. Um, funnily enough, Mark, a lot of the metals you know, humans, we're really, really tough. We can actually cope with it. But the larvae of fish and invertebrates can't. 
Um, I think I think humans are really tough, but still, you bring up a really good point. How swimmable are our waterways? And this, for me, is one of the scandals. We've got a wonderful um, government service for the ocean beaches, which is called Beachwatch. So you can dial up Beachwatch um, on your on on the internet, um, or they can send you messages, I think, and it will give you a daily update of how safe your beach is for swimming. And they visit the beach every week or so and take bacteria samples that actually measure, you know, they, they can actually enumerate the risk of bacterial disease or um, any, any microorganism disease at your ocean beach. Um, same with harbour beaches. But come out here to the west and I'm particularly talking about the Hawkes-Bunapean River, to a lesser degree the Georges River and other rivers, there's no testing at all. Um, and the testing that's, that, that is conducted isn't shared with the community. Um, and yes, I just don't like the idea, I am a scientist, but I like the idea that I'm swimming in water that's regularly tested. Um, and we've got, a, you know, you, you can go for a swim, put your head under with a reasonable sense of security that um, that's not going to give you a disease. Yeah. Would you go swimming in the Nepean River in the middle of summer? Um, look, I do, and in, and in fact, they used to have a swim here, which I loved, which was the it was called the Nepean Bridge to Bridge. Oh, it yeah, went yeah, from cool. went from the motorway um, to the railway bridge, which is near the near the Nepean Rowing Club. I love that swim. Yeah. They stopped it and they've put it into the um, into the uh, Penrith Lakes, which is a rowing course. Um, and I stopped it because it was so hot. It had a water temperature close to 30 degrees in summer. Um, and I'd just be sort of um, swimming out, ready to start, and already my radiator was, you know, in the red. Whereas the river was a good five or eight degrees cooler than that. I know they run some of the open water championships out there in, um, I think it's in the Penrith Lakes. In the, That's in, right, in it the is. Thing. Is that... Is that art? Is that an artificial course, or is that is, it is. there something it's a, there? It's, it, it, it's, it's actually formed by quarrying, and they quarry a lot of sand and gravel out of the Penrith Lakes area, and they create big holes, which they now fill and create these artificial um, lakes. And you know, good luck to them. The, you know, that was the Olympic rowing course, and they've got Olympic, um, you know, canoeing and even white water courses that they pump water around, and it's you know, it's quite impressive what they've done. I guess it's, it's beautiful. Clean. Um, it's it, it's I've I've seen the data and it's and it's yeah uh, it, it is cleanish but they certainly test it and make sure it's safe to swim in but for me I just didn't like I prefer the river the cool flow of the river I just didn't like the temperature but it is impressive what they do um, yeah, I guess it's a problem but, if it doesn't flow right like it warms up it get pretty manky I guess look that's right that's right and um, I I am impressed they've got a really good water quality program and and they've got um. You know, they, 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 they treat it with wetlands and, you know, a series of ponds essentially filter it. But, you know, I, I do swim in heated pools. They're not my favourite thing, but they're a pretty good alternative in winter. Yep. But it felt, it felt to me like going to a hydrotherapy pool. Right, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Some, sometimes you swim in pools and it's just done to a temperature. So perhaps young kids doing learn to swim or people you know, having hydrotherapy after an operation, so it's quite warm and easy to get into. But as a swimmer that, you know, I swim for about an hour and I get right into it and I look like a lobster coming out of those hot pools. Yeah. And that's what it felt like to me, just getting into the Penrith Lakes. So not somewhere you need a wetsuit, I wouldn't have thought. Oh, 
Definitely not. No, definitely, <laughs> definitely not. Absolutely. I, I've always kind of wondered, and I, I mean, I think I know the answer, but I, I'd be interested to hear what you've got to say. How does sewage get from, you know, the, the sewage pipes into, say, the Cooks River? Like, it's not supposed to go there. How, how, how does it get there? How does it leak out? Like, what's going on? Oh, look, that's a great question. That's a really, really good question. Um, it, it, it shouldn't get in there. Really, the, the sewer pipes and the whole sewerage infrastructure is basically designed to you know, manage a, a difficult and potentially infectious substance and get it away from people and built up areas to um, be treated and discharged in a safe way. But the trouble is... It's really complex. Um, the pipes are built to a certain size and then we have more and more urban development. So the pipes get busier and busier because of the human load. And then we have problems like tree roots get in and block the pipes, block the sewer pipes, and every now and then they'll choke. They'll form a blockage. The pressure will build up and then the sewage system has these pressure release points, just like a fuse in a, in a household electrical system. And it will then overflow raw sewage into the environment and a lot of sewer mains go along Cooks River. And I've actually seen um, these overflow structures and they'll actually direct the flow away from built up areas and in, into the river. Um, but sometimes it'll just discharge from unplanned locations. Uh, and, and again, because sewers go to the lowest point in the landscape, they tend to flow with gravity. That is often along rivers. Um, so, all kinds of all kinds of things cause the blockages and overflows. But you know, throwing things down the sewer that shouldn't be there, they help tangle and block it, or tree roots. Um, but yes, I don't think we'll ever see swimming in the Cooks River in a safe way. Yeah. I mean, I guess it makes sense. If I mean, if if you're going to pick somewhere for it to overflow to, you want it to flow down low and away from buildings and whatnot. But it's just a bit gross, isn't it? I agree. I I, I agree. Absolutely, and to and to be honest, that's something that the EPA regulate, and they you know make sure that Sydney Water do their absolute best to minimise, and they actually measure and quantify it, and there's flow gauges within the sewage system, um, and uh, they do fail, and and there there are overflows, but I, I know that industry works as hard as it can to keep 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 the uh, sewage from doing that. When's your next ocean swim? Good question. Um, look, I'd, I'd, I'll, I'll, I'll put it on the record and say I'll, I'll do at least one this summer. Um, and But I've got to get down and practice and just get my confidence up again. Um, I, a few years ago, I thought, no, nah, I'm really going to do quite a few of these. I think I did about eight one season. And can I ask you, what's your favourite ocean swim? Oh, that's a hard question. There's a few that I really like. I don't know if favourites. I, I quite like Coogee. You go out and around the island and back. I've got a soft spot for that. And that's around Wedding Cake Island, is it? That's around Wedding Cake Island, yeah. I haven't done that. I haven't done that. I would love to do that. Um, it, it's nice. It's not that, It's not too rough, but it's kind of a destination. I like the ones where you're going somewhere. Even if you're coming back to where you came from, at least you're going around something. I, I look, I, look, look, I agree. Uh, I did one up at Southwest Rocks. Have you happened to do that one? No, I've heard of it, though. Look, there's no, there was no giant surf. That was fantastic. That was from near Trial Bay. From the, it's 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 um, 
within the enclosed waters there um, near the old jail. That was delightful. Um, and I did one down at Mollymook that was... Uh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that, that was beautiful. Um, I did it one year where it was basically in the middle of a storm and it was actually terrifying. I couldn't see when it got... The weather got worse and worse and worse. We had horizontal rain and... Um, I heard afterwards that people were yelling out for help. They were getting overwhelmed, but the people on the shore couldn't see them. Oh. <laughs> uh, it got so bad. But it was, it was actually an incredible exhilaration to do that and survive. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine it might be, yeah. That's, that's the thing about ocean swimming. I, I, you do get a buzz just from surviving it. Oh, look, absolutely. absolutely. And I've, I've, I did one from, um, uh, from oh, it was along the coast near Malabar, uh-huh. um, I can't remember the name of that swim. I've only done it once, but it was up along that the beautiful escarpment. It was it was a linear swim in one direction, and then we were bust back from the end. And it was just fantastic seeing the coastline from from the water, from you know just down down at the swimmers level. But I love watching when when the conditions are clear, and you can watch the change from sand to um, you know rocks and fish and seaweed moving. Um, and yeah, I, I absolutely love it. Um, once I'm out safely through the breakers. Yes. Well, the the Malabar. I've done the Malabar swim that's within Long Bay. And it's always kind of funny because the sewage plants there and Sydney water are often set up a little stall and talk about how good they are. But the the bay itself is beautifully clean now. There's yeah, deep water uh, outfall and everything. It's a great swim. Oh, it's, I'll have to give it a go because I can still remember sampling it when the when it was still a cliff-based outfall, and I can just remember the huge accumulation of dead dead shells from dead, um, oh. uh, you know, uh, you know, dead marine life accumulating. But I, I gather that the place has completely rejuvenated. Uh, I I think so. I, I can't talk with particular knowledge of it but you know there's a great playground there the the beach is really pristine and nice and long bay itself is, is quite nice it's a, it's a tougher swim than you'd think too because there's no break but then once you get out the, the swell's quite high it's pretty bumpy right. once you get out there uh it's 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 look it's lovely it's lovely hearing you talk about it and you know in in my mid-20s when i i, I sometimes we had swims cancelled and i was outraged because i loved Going under big breakers and then trying to catch them coming in. I just, um, I used to really, I used to prefer having those bumpy swims um, yeah, in the yeah. ocean. But, but now in middle age, thirty years later, I'm not quite as enthusiastic. <laughs> <laughs> I, I did one the other weekend. Um, it was the solstice swim at Mona Vale, which was really nice. The water was much warmer than the air. I mean, in the middle of wow. winter in Sydney, it's still still twenty something degrees in the water. The air was, it was wow. a horrible wet rainy day it wasn't much fun standing on the beach once it got into the water it was really nice so did you do that with a wetsuit no just just swimming. oh good on you wow that's that's impressive good on you oh i think it's colder in november in the water right. than, it, than it is now it's it was really that's nice a, it was really that's nice. amazing I've heard, I've heard it's really good at the moment yeah well it's really good to talk about the topic because yeah i would be i would be keen it's it's been it's been a big um it's been a big love of my of my life and it's i always find it a challenge but i always find it incredibly rewarding as well yeah, I, I really understand that. I think I feel the same way. And, and look, I appreciate your interest in the topic too. And we do run. I think I think City Water and others run the sewage system well. But I just, I just, um, the ocean doesn't need it. Doesn't need poorly treated wastewater. And I think we can invest more, treat it, treat it um, to help us. Um, you know, it's a dry land, and we're not going to get any new supplies. 
and with climate change we might have less rainfall so anything to keep sewage out of the environment I'm keen for. Yeah this this idea that the ocean is just an endless reservoir that we can just dump stuff into the same way that we've treated the atmosphere for however many hundreds of years is pretty troubling it's you know the ocean connects everybody as as does the atmosphere and you know there's only one planet you're going to stuff it up eventually uh, look absolutely and it's and, 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 I'm, and i really you know as, as as ocean swimmers we really get involved in it um in three dimensions um and you know unlike surfers we have our heads underwater looking at it so we've got this unique <laughs> yeah, that's right. u- unique perspective so um yeah no look i appreciate the interest Well, that's all the time we have in this effluential edition of the pod. Thank you very much to Dr. Ian Wright for sharing your swimming stories and your research into water pollution. If you'd like to read any more about anything that you heard in today's episode, get over to our website at www.thepodpodcast.net. That's www.thepodpodcast.net. And from there, you'll find links to a bunch of the things we spoke about today. I hope you enjoyed our segue through sewage, our passage through poo. My name's Mark West. I hope to catch you next time on the pod. I want to be effluent, Mum. Effluent. You are effluent, Kim.